Strategy games have really always been the domain of the PC, but in the last decade or so we've seen more and more of them coming to consoles. Defining what strategy games are isn't as clear-cut as you may expect. They don't just encompass real-time games such as Command & Conquer or turn-based games such as Civilization or Wasteland. No, strategy games can be everything, from a Tomb Raider puzzling level to games such as Hitman or even Portal and the Escapists. Every game has an element of strategy, but it's the real-time and turn-based ones we're looking at specifically in this instance. Real-time strategy and turn-based strategy games have traditionally focused on the PC audience. As mentioned before, this choice was primarily based on the depth and complexity of such games and the need for multiple menus assigned to a variety of keys on the keyboard. Learning to read your user interface and being able to quickly respond, especially in real-time strategy games, was essential, and not having to flick through complicated menus means that hotkeying items on a keyboard is easier than trying to map them to a controller. That said, more and more strategy games are now becoming a staple on consoles. With consoles still representing the most accessible way of gaming, getting strategy games on consoles is very important for developers. Games such as Halo Wars and XCOM have done wonders for the genre on the consoles and have highlighted the ingenuity of developers to get their games working without losing that level of detail you expect. Of course, not all games can put everything in. City builders such as Cities XL, Tropico or even turn-based strategy games such as Civilization have had to be dumbed down to an extent, not only due to the restrictions of buttons, but also because the consoles generally can't cope with the intensity of the workload that such games impose. But two games, one turn-based strategy and one real-time strategy, that have been released recently, published by Koch Media, are learning from the best strategy games that came before them. Iron Harvest, a real-time strategy game that is set between the end of the Great War and the Second World War, looks at the way in which history could have panned out if the conflict had ended differently. The time it examines was essential in the influence it's had on our modern-day world, with empires collapsing, industry emerging and enlightenment occurring. This was a new world, a new era and a great time to set a game, according to Elliot Verbeest, the game designer of Iron Harvest. I'll start out with the world of Iron Harvest, the world of 1920+, yeah. is of course based on the paintings, the well-known paintings by the Polish artist Jakub Brzezelski, mm -hmm. who is primarily known for um, this very kind of middle European-centric kind of art, which contrasts the, um, the advancements of mechanization and industrialization with um, the experiences of more traditional life, as it were. You're going to war? You heard him. Just for a few months. I won't let my son die in another meaningless war. Meaningless? We are defending our homes, our freedom. What do you want your son to be gone? A patriot or a coward? This has offered a unique opportunity to explore alternate realities in real-time strategy games, especially playing on different sides, with clear differences in combat style and philosophies. Currently the game has three factions. We have uh, the Republic of Polania, which 
is essentially a, a very close allegory for Poland, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, Rusvyets, which is a Sardom kind of... Prussia. Yeah, yeah, essentially Prussia or Russia, mm-hmm. I would say. It's closer to Russia. And then the Empire of Saxony, which is it's a, a mixture of both the, the German Empire and Prussia. By simplifying the factions of the Great War and influenced by the art of Jakob Rosalski and his interpretation of what could have been, Iron Harvest has ended up with a very unique feel. They mustn't catch us all at once. I need someone I can trust. I am a soldier, have been all my life. Being able to play the different factions, each with clear differences in combat style, philosophies and the like, was also something the team relished, trying to interpret the way in which the empires and their technologies would have advanced. And each faction has its own strengths and weaknesses, Verbeest says. Polani is kind of more faster, more nimble. Um, They specialize more in kind of hit and run and guerrilla strategy, uh, whereas Saxony, for instance, is a bit more uh, heavier machines that are more capable of destruction once you can get them to where they need to be. Verbeest says the team really drew from the advancements at the time, citing the invention of the tank as a big game changer. That's definitely something that we wanted to reflect also because it's also so clearly um, distinguishable in Jacob's paintings is that uh, Polania or Poland has kind of always been kind of stuck between those two particular empires. And I think that's something that we convey fairly well within the game as to essentially it's an, al- an allegory for the history of Poland as it has occurred over many, many decades, if not centuries. This basis, in fact, is also a technique utilised by Wasteland 3. Although the Wasteland franchise can be considered as the daddy of post-apocalyptic games, check out our full interview with Brian Fargo for more, it was originally developed at the tail end of the Cold War, and its vision was that of a post-nuclear world. And it references the popular culture of the time, even down to its soundtrack, which was supervised by none other than the award-winning Mary Ramos, responsible for helping shape the music direction of films such as Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino. Jeremy Cotman, Wasteland 3 lead level designer and developer at Inexile Entertainment, outlines the importance of this level of immersion. She brought, she uh, found all these cool tracks that are basically, they're covers of, some of them are like 80s pop songs, some of them are TV theme songs from that era. There's also some sort of Americana sort of uh, like church songs, hymns and things like that. Yeah, gospel that, stuff. Yeah, that are, that are recorded in these really interesting, slightly distressed ways that are, that are super cool and really like uh, hammer home that, that feeling of like a, a decayed America. Um, so that's, that's been super fun. Uh, and then all of the sort of science fictional elements are drawn very much from like 80s pop culture, sci-fi, you know, war games and not that there's specific references, but like you know, War Games, Last Starfighter, that's kind of the like the, the feel of the science fiction.
The wider story arc with decisions to be made that impact gameplay is something both Verbeest and Kopman said the community insisted on after surveying them before going into development, especially the Wasteland audience as precedent had been set before by previous games. Jeremy Kopman. What we tried to focus on was the stuff that people were positive about. So the, the, the really big elements that people liked were the, the narrative choice and consequence. The Beast, although working with a real-time strategy game, echoes Kopman's findings, saying that this is what modern players have come to expect. We moved into essentially 2020 with yeah. quality of life updates and more modern uh, design sensibilities, so to speak, uh, that a lot of players have come to expect from more modern titles, and reintroducing that with an interesting and compelling world and fascinating characters and larger-than-life mechs, and reintroducing that kind of more into um, into these spaces. Story has always been regarded quite highly in the strategy genre. The Beast nods to Warhammer 3 and the early Command & Conquer games. But having choice is one thing, whereas making them part of the game and the narrative is another, as Kotman says. When you make a choice, it has interesting impacts that feel organic throughout the world, and then we also communicate what choices are affecting things. So, you know, in Wasteland 2, we might have something you picked in hour one that would impact something in hour 10, but the sort of, it wasn't, it wasn't, brought uh, it wasn't surfaced as well as it could have been so you didn't necessarily know those two things were connected so we've spent a ton of time making sure that our dialogues and our uh, ui really give that feedback of like when you make a decision you might not know it's going to affect something in 10 hours but once it once that that effect occurs you are clearly told yeah that happened because of this choice you made for turn-based strategy games, it's a lot easier to see those impacts directly. With a real-time strategy game, the wider narrative is affected by the outcome of your battle, and that can be played out in infinite ways. Like a sports game, no two playthroughs will ever be the same, and those decisions and the time it takes for you to make them, implement them, and play them out all happen in real time. Being able then to access your inventories, recenter your troops, and clear the fog of war become essential, which brings us back to our original controller point. Strategy games of all types are complicated. They require level building, troop maneuvering, upgrading, researching, maintaining, and a host of other inputs. With a controller, it's hard to assign all these buttons, but there has been some improvement. Games that have done exceptionally well in both the real-time strategy and the turn-based strategy spheres in recent years have been Halo Wars and XCOM, respectively. They've allowed console players the same level of depth and functionality as their PC counterparts. Fabice says that the development of Iron Harvest has been a good template for them, and other new real-time strategy games that will follow. Kopman notes the importance of this too, stating that the Microsoft acquisition allowed InXile to really access and harness the platform holder's expertise. You know, we've been working really hard on getting the controls to to feel really natural without losing stuff that you can do on, on PC. The, you know, we've had one very bright 
you know, nice thing about the Microsoft acquisition is that we have access to user research groups, which really have helped with our UI and feedback and controls because that's something that is, yeah, extremely difficult to translate. Both games, which have now been released, have been received extremely well. The controls have not hindered the gameplay, although the new generation did have their teething issues, which did play out on the console versions of the games. And although strategy games may have once been the domain of the PC, they're certainly making an impact on consoles and becoming more and more mainstream. Having said that, personally, I still find PC strategy gaming a much better experience, and it's lucky that these games can be found across both platforms and with crossplay in some cases too, well, that's a story for another time. This documentary was narrated by Tamara Svahani and produced by Magdus Media Limited for Checkpoint Magazine.